from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that made us go wow. 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 Oh, James, yes, wow. Uh, with me as always, the amazing James St. James. And our oh, chief creative officer Tom Campbell back from down under. Hello, hello, hello. Coming to you. Oh, welcome. Friend. Are you back in LA? I'm here for a brief time before I, I jet off to another continent. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. There's no time to waste, so let's get down to brass tax number 10. Tom. Number 10. Well, let's end the week talking about what we saw at the beginning of the week, and that is the Super Bowl halftime show. Um always criticized, always hyper-scrutinized, especially by the gays. I, to be honest, slept through the entire day, you know, did not watch the game, uh, slept through the halftime show, and then watched it all on the YouTubes. And kind of, you know, there's been a lot of memes how if you're born before the 80s, it was the worst halftime show ever. If you're born after 2000, you have no idea who those people are. But if you're between 80 and 2000, it was the best one ever. Well, I'm older than that, but I thought it was one of the best halftime shows ever. I had low expectation or, or I like that. While that isn't my, the heart of my teenage music, it is music that is inescapable. It's so part of our culture that I hear at the are gym. You telling, are you trying to pass off the fact that you were a teenager in the nineties? Is that what you're trying to tell no, us? Here? I was a teenager in the seventies <laughs> and I'm saying, but in the nineties, I was working MTV that music was incredible, yes. and it's the music that plays at the gym. Every straight trainer who I work, you know, near and around, gets off on all those songs. And I thought the way that it was staged was kind of like, like, was amazing. That that white I liked neighborhood it. and the rooms and the roof and the cars and and I was just. What, what, what do you guys think of just in general? I feel like Fenton's not not Fenton is the yeah okay Fenton go okay, and then I'll I, go. I, I, Madonna. 2012. We have to move right. on. It's 10, Ten years, years ago, she made an entrance that defied all entrances and was visible to everybody in the arena. What is wrong if you're going to do the Super Bowl after of playing to the entire audience? Why do you have to have just forward? I have broken this down for you before. Doing a halftime, doing a performance in the middle of an arena, in the middle of a football game is the most ridiculous hard to pull off thing in the world and let's face it whenever unless you're in fenton bailey front row seats yeah, hello here we no go, here we go. Of it. Yeah. everything on the monitors and i have imagined the monitors at okay. sophie stadium are state-of-the-art spectacular probably more high res than life itself this music the music to me is the music of my 20s it is it's not the stuff that i listen to now but it is it it it, it has nostalgia for me all of yeah. those acts that mary j blige blew the the took the house down she was fantastic yeah. um I do. I agree that you know usually the halftime show is for the gays and the women, you know the women folk, and that's why we have Madonna and Janet Jackson, and you have boy bands, and you have Lady Gaga, and you have. In this year, it was very testosterone heavy. It yeah. was for the boys, and I worry that that is the coming 
wave of the future is that the gays are about to be pushed into the into the the rain and it's going to be we're we're going back to that 90s era of men singing like this in every band i mean considering it took them what 50 super bowls to come up with this i don't worry about that too much i think it's long overdue in many ways it is strange though that almost it has always been for the gays in this year it was not there was nothing for the gays to latch on to mary j blige's boots and and cat suit were for the gays and the fact that you did uh, well, that, 20 seconds they gave us 20 seconds I, I'm, I'm not i'm not wild super picky it. but i didn't i know the upside down entrance was a reference to the music video but it just didn't look that good uh with especially with his chain hanging over his face i mean i imagine in my dreams 50 cent in that position hanging over me <laughs> with his chain in his face to be honest with you i can tell you the the you know the the as I lose my mind and my memory and ability to see things and remember details, I remember my feelings. And I have to say, I'm not making it up. I got really choked up when Eminem went down into the kneel, and the whole thing kind of stopped and sort of suspended in motion for a minute. And and it was it's it's you know the the I never thought the- that I would enjoy seeing Eminem and get my heart and go oh it's Eminem and be excited about it and then when he did that I was like good for Eminem and I never thought I would say good for Eminem because ever, nobody like, else from if anybody else other performers because they're black did that they would have been like oh they're that you know they were, they're, yeah. they they would have got all this negativity and there was there's this great meme going around too that he did it that it was really meaningful that they took a moment you know, it's just that moment of silence or that moment of pause in this world of like image, image, image in the Super Bowl and halftime show, I thought was so brave and so powerful. And there's this meme going around saying, if you're angry at Eminem for kneeling, not during the national anthem, then maybe it wasn't about the national anthem at the first place, which I think is a very powerful statement. I I think that's very beautifully put. And absolutely, what a great moment. And um, yeah, you know, it's like, the Super Bowl is something for us all to sit around and complain about. And that's half the fun too, right? It is so, half the fun, but it's that idea like, we, you know, you talk about with Don and oh, she she seemed stiff and she almost fell once. And you watch that performance today on YouTube and it's spectacular. Well, so, I, I thought it was genius the moment I saw it. I haven't stopped going I on about it for the last 10 years. And I'm tired of talking about you it. You your own number for Madonna. Get off my number. I could write a book about that. Okay, let's <laughs> and move I'm on. I'm sure number. you will. I have number nine, James. Number nine. I want to talk about the other big moment of the uh, the other big sports moment of the week that just blew me away. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see Nathan Chen at the Olympics. It was one of the most spectacular things. I I cried all the way through. Spontaneously, just crying. I was. I there was something. Yes, it's something so magical about it. So beautiful. So pure. Uh, Nathan Chen is the 22 year old cutie patootie American born son of Chinese immigrants who competed for America in the in the skating uh, competition. He was born in 1999. If you want to feel old, Uh, he's known as the Quad King for his ability to leap into the air and spin in four times just 
unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, I thought that we were boycotting the Olympics because remember when uh, Peng Shui disappeared, the tennis star, after making the allegations of sexual assault over the Chinese government official, and she disappeared. And we said that until she comes back, we are boycotting the Olympics. And then she came back and she said, I don't, I was mistaken. I was mistaken. And we don't believe her. We think that she's been coerced somehow. And I wish that we would have stuck to that. I don't think we should have gone to the Olympics. I don't think we should be supporting the Chinese in this. I also don't like the fact that during a pandemic, the idea of tens of thousands of people from all over the world coming into one place. I don't care how many protections you have, how many safeguards. It's still a bad idea. It's still a super spreader event. You can't talk me out of that. So I was boycotting the Olympics. I didn't hear you saying this during the Olympics in the summer, right? What? No, I did not believe in the Olympics during the summer. I think the Olympics during the summer is what the brought about the Delta variant. Are you kidding well, me? Well, what about the Super Bowl? I don't think the Super Bowl is a good idea either. I think until we fundamentally change, <laughs> no, until we fundamentally change the way we gather as human beings in large crowds, until we fundamentally change the way we ventilate buildings, until we fundamentally rethink all these things, it's going to keep happening again. But you know, James, it's so funny though. because today I was in the office and I thought. I must call James and tell him to come back to the office. I think he'd like to come back to the office. I was in the office today. Anyway, my point is back to Nathan. Um, uh, you watch Nathan. It was so beautiful and so pure. The way he just sort of leaps and twirls and does all the, I mean, it was done to this Elton John. You would just go bananas. Tom, you have to watch this. I will watch it was that an Elton it. John medley. And you have to watch the seven-minute version on NBC YouTube. Okay, because NBC has the best advantage point. They have the best. And listening to Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir block it out for you is unbelievable. But you will, honest to God, you will sob, Tom. You, it, it is yes. the most, yeah. You normally sob because there's an emotional story point or some narrative thing is happening. But I've never really just sobbed at the amazingness of something. It's it just I, it, the sheer artistry of this this boy the way he moves and i guess like it was like he messed up previous in the previous olympics and this time there was none of that nervousness and he was just so assured and so joyous in addition exactly the joy joy of just the sheer it was the way the way he controls his body and just it's just it was such a fantastic fuck you it was like in the most joyous way it was like And that hair, he has. I started a Nathan Chen a hair appreciation uh, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter because he's just is. Uh, he looks. He's so beautiful and he's so fantastic. I was hoping that he was gay. I don't think he is. I wanted to have a queer icon. I'm surprised he, you didn't he, cancel him, James, because he, well, he, he can't be a queer great. icon, no matter what his sexuality is, because he's just so he, wonderful. And we just. Was, being cancelled like some remarks about saying that you know a lot of people in this figure skating are, are normally gay and he's the straight one and right and, but it doesn't matter it has it none of that matters it's just the the beauty of of the the sport the hashtag that has emerged from this conversation having listened is a joyous fuck you hashtag a joyous fuck you, <laughs> joyous fuck you. that's what we're gonna call it number nine a joyous fuck you moving on to number eight number eight it's good that we're celebrating people while we're still around because This is about trouble with bots. Trey Spiegel posted an article on the WOW Report. Uh, We'll post the link uh, the other week about the the U.S. Defense Department in 2009. I mean, leave it to the military to get up to some shenanigans. But in 2009, they funded research supposedly into war robots that could power themselves 
by eating human corpses. Oh, and they have this three three fingered arm that can reach out, pull something towards it, and then it has a little chainsaw buzzsaw attachment that can break out what the, they... the, the machines are eating human corpses and to that, get energy that's the idea that they're yeah. robots that can refuel themselves by eating human remains on the that's battlefield insane. you know what we call that at my house cats oh i was gonna say dinner time <laughs> energetic my cats lay over me waiting for me to die so they can use their three little pronged fingers to eat me okay go on uh, the energetically autonomous tactical robot is what it's technically described as. Uh, the system obtains its energy by foraging, engaging in biologically inspired organism-like energy harvesting behavior, which is the equivalent of eating. It can find and ingest, extract energy from biomass in the environment using a biomass shredder. <laughs> like, um Pretty great, right? I mean, that's like great. That's terrifying. What is the world? They, this is the beginning of Skynet right here. This is like, this is the Terminators coming for us. Well, you put that, James, with your Xenobots that you reported on maybe a few months ago or a year ago. Yeah, because they figured there's been a new development with the Xenobots too, in that they can now self-reproduce. Did you know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They, yep. Just when James was starting to have a good day, this whole <laughs> robot revolution thing pops back up. Yep. But oh. I did, James, there is some good news because I did a little digging. Because, you know, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. So, or the WOW report in particular. <laughs> or you hear on this show. <laughs> exactly. Well, to the point. So I did a little, little hard work of Googling. And it turns out in July of 2009, they were they felt obliged to issue a clarifying release saying that um fast company uh, let's see um in response to rumors circulating the internet on such sites as fox news fast company and cnet uh, about the flesh eating robot project cyclone power technologies and robotic technology would like to set the record straight this robot is strictly vegetarian so well, how um, many corpses are vegetarian? That's sort of, I don't know that I'm quite understanding. Well, they're saying that biomass refers to trees and plants that they uh, will be able to shred. I think it means that the robot will only eat vegans. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, and by the way, this is also a, a, a play, an update on Little Shop of Horrors, right? That's right. And, and our uh, cannibalistic... Uh, at posts that we keep doing time and again, and now it's the the machines eating the people as well. That's right. We'll take a quick break. Uh, World of Wonder is seeking out the next makeup superstar for season two of the at-home makeup competition series, Painted with Raven. Join Raven as a contestant from the comfort of your own home for a chance to win a grand prize of $25,000 and become America's next makeup superstar. Apply now, worldofwonder.com slash makeup casting. That's all one word. Casting ends March 4th. So, James, are you going to be entering? Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, of course he lied. I, I plan to take your job. I, pl I plan to be the new Raven. <laughs> You're going to come and eat me. You're going to be like a... <laughs> yes, I'm going to eat Raven. Raven and take over. <laughs> I eat cannibals. <laughs> um, well, I've got a question for you guys. People are pissed about something Mayim Bialik is saying as a guest host on Jeopardy. Oh, not her again. Do you know what it is? 
No. And I will just say, the first time she said it, I was like, that's not, you don't say that. Mm. And then I read this article and I was like, I guess this is a thing. I guess we have to answer the question by saying, what is? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Remember your phrasing. Right. Thank you. We'll have the answer for you right after the break here on the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by my mm, legendary cohorts who are very patient, uh, Tom Campbell, Chief Creative Officer, and James St. James, editor of the Wow Report, and Blake Jacobs. Yes, and I asked. People are really pissed about something that Mayim Bialik is saying as guest host on Jeopardy. Do you guys know what it is? Have you heard about this? I saw the headline, but I didn't read the article, but I'm going to guess she says, greeting earthlings at the top of the show. <laughs> I know that isn't my um, famously anti-vax. Was it something anti-vaxxing? Oh, no. She, no. she won't vaccinate her children over for anything. I think she's like a Jenny McCarthy. Uh, I don't know about that, but that's not this. Okay. What is it? I, I have no idea. I No. She, whenever... You know, the Jeopardy round ends and you're about to go to double Jeopardy. She's like, and that is the last question for single Jeopardy. And I was like, it's not single Jeopardy. It's just Jeopardy. It's Jeopardy and then double Jeopardy. Wait, and this is what people are up in arms about. People have too much time on their hands. People are crazy. I feel like like I'm being shortchanged if I just had a single Jeopardy. I want a Jeopardy. It's like I want large and then extra large. You know what I'm saying? I don't want a single Jeopardy. I I agree. I'm outraged. This is upsetting. Well, how dare she, like, try to, you know, what are we all going to? Yes, that has been a constant for 40 years. What would Merv Griffin do, people? What would Merv Griffin do? Hashtag single Jeopardy or something and then, like, change the footprint of the game. No, no. I'm I'm going to stop paying attention to the Russian-Ukraine thing and start paying full attention to this. Thank you. I'm glad you have your priorities straight. Finally, Tom Campbell. Yes. What do you have for us at number seven in terms of what made you go wow? Number seven. Super, 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 super important. And Blake is welcome to join back in. But did you know that this is the dawn of the age of masculinia? The age of masculinia. And masculinia, of course, is armpit fetish, armpit odor fetish. This was in the New York Times, so this is a very heady piece. Have the New York Times bought it? Like they bought World? (laughs) (laughs) They probably will. But supposedly, there is a Philip Miner, a nightclub promoter in New York, is holding a party called Pheromone. Not the drag queen, but pheromone for armpit fetishists. But it's it's because it's the New York Times, it just can't be like fetish like we all know and love, but it has to be really socially examined. So it's working from home really gave people a reason to give up deodorant. And a lot of people found out that they resonate more with their own natural body sense. There, I'll tell you something, not to name names, but there was a couple people at World of Wonder who decided to give up deodorant. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. And they, they decided to go cre- rub crystals on their armpits because that worked. It does not work. It no. is the rankest, nastiest thing. And it, the, this party takes place at a club called Nowhere, which is in the East Village. Have you guys ever heard of it? Mm-mm. No. It's whole, it, this is my fun part. It's also held, again, a very intellectual article. It's also held, holds nights called Fuzzy for Harry and their hired guys and their admirers. 
chunk for the chunky guys and their admirers, fire in the hole for redheads and their admirers, and my oh. favorite, Studio Five Foot Four. For short people, <laughs> that's very clever. But I what, what happens at an armpit party? Like, could you break it down for me? Well, they say, first of all, they are very, very holding to all of the uh, vaccination card stuff. But basically, people just come pit it out and people take whiffs. I guess you probably have to ask permission still. I don't know anymore. I don't go out. But you just, people get off on, get well, sexually you know, aroused I- by. I had a boyfriend who uh, would make me suck his armpit, and that's how he got off. That's that was one of the only ways he got off is what he just liked having his armpit sucked. That's right. Now I, for, for like an hour, I'd just be like, <laughs> I feel like I'm in this scene by default because I do go. I I like the leather slash bear bars, eagle and um fault line. But do you, do you like a good rank pit? I don't. I yeah. prefer okay. something that smells good. Um, I know. There, I'm actually going to a wedding this weekend of a friend. His name is Danimal, is aka Sarah Problem, and she. What's happening? She actually started the party stank in San Francisco about nine years ago. Yes, which kicked off this whole renaissance. Yes, in fact, one of our guest judges, or not guest judge, in fact, one of the pit crew members. Oh God! Girl, can we talk about him? Was a special guest at one of these parties, and he's my friend was there, and they said you just went up and like he smelled everyone's armpits, and but I remember a couple of those drag the drag race reunion specials where you could smell him coming down the 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 sunset. Wonderful wonderful, beautiful man, and and one of the you know early pick a really good friend of mine actually made national headlines. When I think Gold's Gym banned him because of his strong odor. Well, now yeah. there's a home for him, and it's called Stank, and it's called Pheromone, and it's ha- it's, it's coming back. And now, thank God for this COVID quarantine time to make us really embrace our Stank, you guys. I oh, also also want to give a shout out to the person who wrote this for the New York Times. It's my Facebook friend Shane O'Neill. Congratulations, Shane. Yeah. And this isn't a question. This is this isn't a real trivia question, but. Guess what color in the 70s, what color Hanky said that you were into armpit stink? Oh, I do know this, I think. I'm going to say purple or mauve or something. I'm going to give it Green. to Kevin. It's magenta. I think it's still a bit of a loss. Uh, should we read the pit crew on Drag Race? Should we rename it the armpit crew then? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is a mini challenge. Consider that done. Thank you. Done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, armpit parties, yeah. Why didn't our listeners should go and report back? That would be. There was just one on February tenth, and the next one we'll we'll try to keep you posted on the web. All and right. congratulations to um, Danimal, aka Sarah Problem, on her wedding oh, nuptials. That's such a good uh, name, Sarah Problem. Sarah Problem. Change number six is Sarah Problem. Number six. Number six, I want to stay on the New York Times for a minute here because this scandal is infuriating me. I really need to talk about this. I need to talk about Maggie Haberman, Maggie Haberman, Maggie Haberman. Has there been a bigger villain in the pre-Trump, post-Trump, Trump era than New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman? She deserves, oh, she is just the worst person on the planet. And what has she done? 
to annoy Ma- you this week. Maggie Haberman, if you remember, in 2015 and 2016, wrote 200 articles, front page articles for the New York Times, but her emails, keeping Hillary Clinton's email scandal on the front page, demonizing Hillary Clinton and leading to her downfall. She also did a series in 2015 and 2016 of softball interviews with Trump and Melania, you working to normalize him in the eyes of the New York readers. Okay. So she's, she's, She's been at this for a long time. She is also, during the Trump presidency, used her access to do a series of, uh, you know, softball interviews and stories about Trump that manages to give her access to Trump. Trump will go to her when he needs a story written in the New York Times. She uh, is, she pretends to be on the, uh, you know, on the left. She is a talking head on CNN. She does just enough to keep her position on CNN so that she can't be accused of being pro-Trump, but she is. And come to find out what I've just learned doing a little deep dive research is that her mother ran the biggest, one of the biggest PR agencies in New York, whose main client was Donald Trump, Eric Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Ivana, and Jared. She did, she did all of them for the last 15 years. And that's why Maggie has such access to Trump. Now, this last week, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but Maggie Haberman has come out with a book. And she's coming out with a book in November. And I'm not going to give you the name of the book because it, I don't want you to buy it. But what she has done is she's been dropping little bombshells about what's going to be in the book. And the main bombshell is that Trump has been destroying papers in the toilet. He's been wadding them up and flushing them down the toilet. Now, do you not think that if you know this in 2015, 16, 2017, and 2018, you probably should have reported it then instead of saving it for your book? These Trump people, I'm putting Mary Trump in this too, who saved their information when it couldn't have done good, when when we should have known these things during the Trump presidency, they save it till when they can make a buck after his presidency. It's despicable. It's reprehensible. You know, shouldn't shouldn't Mary Trump have written her book before the presidency to stop him from becoming president? Shouldn't we have known that Maggie Haberman, that Trump um, was, was destroying documents during his presidency? I, I can sympathize with Mary Trump because of sort of family loyalties of, of holding back and et cetera. But I agree with you about the Maggie Haberman thing. And um, the problem you know, there, there with this- been a series of, of, of people who have worked in the Trump administration and they save these stories till after right. he's gone so that they can make a buck. And the fact that we give them money and the fact that, that the publishing houses continue to give them huge million dollar advances for stuff that we should have known all along. And don't you think that if you're working for the New York Times, that you, if you get information about Trump, you should give it to the New York Times. They're the ones paying for you. You shouldn't hold on to it so that you can make money afterwards. James, I agree with you, but isn't that unfortunately politics and human nature where people go where the power is and they have no morals compass and well but just because that's the way in the world that doesn't mean that we should we should go along with it no i agree i'm I'm agreeing with you i just you're you're pointing out i think uh uh but i I just find her referee i just find her one of the biggest villains of our time and you see her on uh, these, this story came out and CNN was sort of fawning all over her. She was on every minute of every day talking about this book that she's promoting, but nobody ever called her out on the fact that shouldn't you have told us this? Right. You know, I think that's that- a very good perspective. But also, James, the slightly depressing factor also is, you know, once again, 
there seems to be no will to enforce the law. And, no. Um, no. and, and everyone keeps saying, reading. oh, this is, this is the time that we're going to get Trump. He's going to be carted off to jail. He's never going to be carted off to well, jail. Well, partly ever. because the law about destroying documents apparently is so unenforced that people yeah. consider it unenforceable. And it's just... it's, it's But it's none of the law. He keeps breaking law after law after law. Mm. And they keep saying, well, we can't really go after mm. him for that. We're going to save it for something bigger. And, mm. you know, the Hatch Act, when they kept, you know, when everyone was violating the Hatch Act, when everyone, mm. you know, every time he brings the documents to Mar-a-Lago, when you can't really do anything, he's going to die before anyone ever gets any anything on him. The pithy Facebook meme being shared is... Everything you need to know about the Trump is that in a house, in a building with 26 fireplaces, they were flushing documents down the toilet. <laughs> and if you remember, remember when Trump was talking about how low flush toilets, how they just <laughs> how he was, and you need people have to flush 15 times. And now we know what he was referring <laughs> to. So true. And um, apparently the. But plumbing was always blocked. I had plumbers on call all the time. I'm blocking the lose. So I am uh, getting a patent today for a paper shredder toilet, and I want you all guys to invest in it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's a funny idea. You poo into the paper shredder, and you put your paper <laughs> in the toilet. <laughs> well, uh, listen, I'm going to stick with this, like, like bash the New York Times idea um, with number five. Number five. Well, it's not. I saw this excellent, excellent movie, Kimmy, Steven Soderbergh's new movie. He is such an amazing filmmaker. And I have disagreed personally, I think, with everything Manola Dargas has ever written about film, uh, except for this. She wrote new, uh, the, the Soderbergh has found a new auteurist grow, groove with modest resources, fast shoots, boundless energy, and a striking lack of preciosity about the medium and that is so true that is so neatly said about Soderbergh who retired from movies and then has turned out something like five over the last seven years or seven over the last five years and they're all really good movies he did that movie of the old ladies on the cruise they just and oh, he, yeah, he yeah, shoots yeah, them fantastic yeah he shoots them himself and he edits them himself I mean it's like it's this sort of unbloated un-Hollywood approach he just goes and makes a movie and this Kimmy movie is really good but then Manola Dargis, I'm finally like, oh my God, she said something that's remotely true. And then she writes, oh, it's also only on HBO Max, which is too bad, given that Soderbergh makes movies even when he settles for the small screen. Hate that. I yeah. hate that because when will this snobbery about big screen versus small screen ever end? And, and it feels like it should have ended during the pandemic. It, it felt should. like that was the natural point for us to realize they're the same. I'm I'm still processing talkies, so you guys talk, but I'm, I'm just angry at their sound in movies. Damn it! It is so ridiculous, and it, it's taught me something about snobbery, this this enduring snobbery about big screen versus small, small screen, because snobbery ultimately ends up being more stupid than the things that it condemns or the things that it despises or looks down on, because just... It is. It is. It doesn't require any explanation to say that the, the size of the screen has nothing to do with the story that you're telling. If the yeah. screen's too small, put it near your face. I mean, that's <laughs> what I do. I lie in bed and I watch the movie on my phone. It's really big if you hold it right in front of your face, <laughs> like, as big as you want. Anyway, 
So never mind. It's, it's very funny because I remember Stephen Saban used to rail against Manoa Dargis. He, uh, that was his bet noir. That uh, Manoa and uh, Owen Gleiberman were the two oh, that just him. drove oh, him. Man. But he would go on. Fr- we I wish we could get his ghost down here to to rail about those right. two because it's funny. But anyway, I feel this very unfair to Stephen Soderbergh because he's made such a good film. It's Kimmy. Reminds me. It's it, yeah, the, the, the story. What is it? Hmm? Tell me, tell, tell us what it yeah. is. What... The plot revolves around Kimmy, and Kimmy is an at-home uh, personal Alexa. It's Alexa or Siri. And at first you think the technology is the bad thing, but the way the movie plays out, it twists and it turns. And Zoe Kravitz, who is absolutely amazing in this film, she's got blue hair, she looks so beautiful. She plays kind of a shut-in, a sort of tech geeky person. And her job is to analyze when interactions between Kimmy and people go wrong. So she gets all these weird conversations of like, Kimmy, what is the square root of 64? And Kimmy says, I don't know. And she's fixing all these questions. And then she hears um, a violent scene, a fragment of a violent scene. And it unravels from there. And of course, she's a shut-in, so it's going to require her probably going outside. And it's a really, a bless Stephen Soderbergh. This film is, I think it's 89 minutes long. I mean, my God, that, that alone is. That alone. That's, yeah. I, I mean, that's, per, that's so many times you have these bloated four hour. It just goes on. Yes. No, I think 89 minutes is perfect. I and I will also in- say Rita Wilson is in the movie and she plays. She is perfect. She plays a supervisor in a tech company who pretends to care, but doesn't care at all. Like a sort of a human resource. Mm, flesh-eating robot is basically <laughs> and she's so good at it i mean now, wait, zoe kravitz is the new catwoman in the batman movie isn't she oh, fantastic it's yeah, a really great I movie zoe. she's beautiful and even though manola is is upset that it's only on hbo max i i cannot urge you but to, to go watch it immediately it's it's absolutely fantastic and doesn't suffer from being on the small screen because manola one thing you need to know is it's not the size of the screen it's the dimensions of the story that count. Mm. Oh, it's the motion mm. of the ocean. Hey. <laughs> right All right, take now. a break. Blake, you have a question for us. I do, I do. Today, February 18th, is the birthday of not only this filmmaker who passed away in 09, but also the birthday of his red-hot muse, whom he directed in a trifecta of teen titles in the mid-80s. Oh, okay. Who are they? All right. We'll have the answer to this question right after the break. So, Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. Oh, before we do the question, I just want to let you know the Frog Destroyers are here. Coming this month, March, to Wow Presents Plus, an all new series. Featuring the greatest girl group on the planet, the flock, the flock, the frock destroyers, Divina, Divina De Campo, Blue Hydrangea, and Bag of Chips navigate the heady, dangerous world of the music business with their recording their debut album, making a music video, and touring during a global pandemic. Um, this is their frockumentary. So watch that on wowpresentsplus.com. Wait, can I just very quickly give a shout out to the guest star on last week's episode of uh, UK During the World? Was it Jonathan Bennett was his name? 
who, dear God in heaven, someone give that man a wow show. He is spectacular. And so nice. And so nice. So beautiful and nice and well-spoken and funny. I just thought he was the best thing I've ever seen. Watch that Tuesdays on Wild Presents Plus. Sign up, wildpresentsplus.com. Drag Race UK versus the world. Um, I asked a question before the break. Today, February 18th, is the birthday of not only this filmmaker who passed away in 09, but also the birthday of his red-hot muse, whom he directed in a trifecta of teen titles in the mid-80s. Christopher Columbus. John Hughes, and we're talking about Molly Ringwald. You're absolutely right. I got them jumbled in my in my foggy memory, but yes. She was born in 1492, though. I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> we're counting down to talk to things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four, Tom. Number four. Oftentimes, we reserve this for rest in peace, rest in perfection. Um, so we've lost so many great people this year, as we've talked about. And one that we lost a few weeks ago that we never talked about, and I'm going to hopefully make up for that today, is Louis Anderson, who passed. I just want to have a moment for us to talk about him because we didn't. And I would like to think that Louis, who had the biggest heart and the kindest soul, and you saw it if you ever got a chance to meet him, which Randy and I got to meet him at an Emmys party when he won the Emmy that year and got to hang with him a little bit. Um, He was so kind and calming and beautiful. And... In a world where being gay or being straight was really, you know, he he came out of the 80s comedy explosion when everybody, you know, he's friends with everybody. Eddie Murphy. Like Lane Boozler sort of crowd, yes, right? Yes, Eddie Murphy and yes. Bob Saget and I'm, I'm Robin Williams. Like, they all kind of emerged around the same era. And here was a guy who was, you know, plus size, oh, you know, on a recent uh I was, I've been doing lots of watching of him on YouTube and he, you know, he said he was a food addict. You know, he came to that conclusion and was, was dealing with that, but he was also gay and never really said it out loud. There was a period where he was being blackmailed when he was the host oh, of I family feud yeah. and, and he had propositioned someone, whatever the language is. And that person blackmailed him and Louis at first paid him money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he upped his price and Louis said, fuck it which is a very brave thing to do. And just said, cause you know, he, this was a time when being gay would ruin your career. And, you know, he was, and, and he never wore his gayness quote unquote on his sleeve. He was a family comedian. He talked about his mom and his brothers and his sisters and his family. It's such a beautiful, um, super smart, super clever, but super relatable point of view. And it's funny. Cause when you think of like, people in the LGBTQ plus community who've made a difference. You think of the noisy ones or this one or that one. Louis Anderson has always been there and always been true to himself. Um, even with that glitch in the middle. And it's so sad uh, that he left us. Um, mm. The last thing I'll say, and if you guys want to say something you can or not, but like in doing my research um, in May of 2021, not even a year ago, Bob Saget, had Louis Anderson, who he knew forever, and Bob was a good guy, and Louis is a good guy, and they were on a podcast. They're on Bob's podcast together, and they're sitting there like we're sitting here today, and they're talking to each other, and they have memories, and they're talking about today and every topic you can imagine. And who would have thought that less than a year yeah. later yeah. we'd both be gone? And I'm not trying to be morose about us and our age, but like I was going to say, you know, this time next year, all three of us will probably be gone. 
You don't know. You just don't need Blake solo. Blake alone. But, and then the ratings are going to take off. But <laughs> that thing, just it was staring me in my face. I was lying in bed with the screen this close to my face, Fenton. And to remind you, if not now, when? Right? right. If not yeah. now to be happy. If not now to give love. If not now to, you know, shed some some proverbial weight. Now is the time to do it. And I'm sorry to be so corny, but that's that's what listening to Louis and and Bob and thinking about Louis brought me to. I think that's that's beautiful. And I just, you know, it is hard to measure how dramatically things have changed in terms of the being gay of it all. I have one little example I just wanted to share. When I came here in 1982 on the plane for the first time, immigration form, you had to, there were questions they asked you. One, I am not a communist. Okay, that's easy. Two, I am not a member of the Nazi party. Fine. Three, I am not a homosexual. Really? Yes. Yes. Was it AIDS, do you think? Or was it, what was it, do you think? Well, 82 was that AIDS, really. I mean, we hadn't really even told what AIDS was. That's right. No, absolutely. And even though immigration wouldn't pre-select, like if if you looked gay coming through immigration, they wouldn't necessarily stop you. But if you ticked, I am homosexual on that form, they wouldn't let you in. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I yeah. um I just want to also briefly say that we lost someone else this week. Um, PJ O'Rourke, the uh the uh, the writer who uh is friend who was married to a good friend of mine for many years in the eighties. I knew him. He was just wickedly wickedly funny. He was uh he was a, a diehard Republican conservative National Lampoon. Uh um, what is the big magazine? The conservative magazine, the Nation. Then the national, the national review, the national review. I think he was the editor there for many years. Um, but he was the kind of Republican that when you talk to him, he was a fiscally conservative Republican, not the nasty Republicans we know now. He was an '80s Republican, and you walked away thinking, "Well, he was right. <laughs> you know, he made a lot of sense." And you walk away thinking, "Maybe I am Republican." Every time you talk oh, to him, <laughs> he just—he was, he was rational and he was smart. He was intelligent. He was, and he did it with humor. He wasn't nasty. There wasn't a nasty bone. I mean, there was a wicked bone in his body, but he was just—he was a really—he was an interesting person. And it's a shame to lose a, a voice like that. Hmm. All right, let's move on to number three. Number three. Um, number three. I want to do my soap opera update very quickly. There's an oh, LGBT, there's some LGBTQ news happening. Days of Our Lives is bringing back um, the characters of Sonny and Will, who were the town's only homosexuals for many many years. And they went off screen for a few years and now they're back and they have a new character playing. They have a new actor playing Sonny and it's a good thing because he's just gorgeous. First of all, <laughs> they're both gorgeous, but the both actors before were straight. And if there was ever a reason to cast gay people in gay roles, it was this because every time they had to kiss or be intimate, it was like they were repulsed by each other. It was like they would go in and you'd see their faces just sort of twist in horror as they would have to tongue kiss or something like that. And so now they have a gay actor and it sort of changed the dynamic a little bit. Um, also on General Hospital, there's a trans love story that's happening. There's a character named Terry, who is the chief of staff. She's a trans woman, beautiful trans woman, played by trans actress Cassandra James. And she, um, over Valentine's Day, she had a Tinder date that went awry. And this guy sort of swooped in, who was a character many years ago on the show. And they brought him back. And in real life, his name is Chris Van Etten. 
and he is a real live uh, military hero. He was lost both his legs in Afghanistan, and he came on the show to sort of teach some of the patients about how to walk and things like that. This is many years ago. So, but now he's back and he swoops in and saves Terry, and they end up having a date. And it looks like it's the beginning of a of a love story. And he knows that she's trans, so that's not the issue. That is not. It doesn't even look like it's a plot point. It's just these two people fall in love, and it's a very nice thing that we are at that point in soap operas where the fact that Terry doesn't it doesn't matter who you know that she's trans that she is the chief of staff at General Hospitals of the titular General Hospital, and she gets a love story with with a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. Soap operas have been on the cutting edge of social issues for a long time. I'm not saying this is cutting edge. There, I don't know if they're on time or late, but they're doing it. And God bless. Them. Yeah, yeah. And you no, remember I, on Eden, I, um, uh, Susan Lucci's daughter had the first female had the first gay wedding on on soap operas. I mean, no, I think that they do the they do the heavy lifting, and then sort of feature films sweep in to take all the awards and get all but, the but acclaim. What works, what works with soap operas is that so much of the audience is older women who are you know older stay at home grandmothers and things you know, and so once you get them on your side, once they realize it's not a big deal, then it's a trickle down thing mm. that happens to the rest of society. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Yes. Number two. Number two. I watched a, a documentary uh, on uh, HBO, HBO Max. Um, Icon, Icon, the restless billionaire. <clears throat> Carl Icon, well, he's still alive. He was uh, a corporate raider in the 80s. And I've sort of been waiting for narrative to turn its eye on that period. I mean, you know, remember in the 80s, uh, Oliver Stone made Wall Street, uh, the movie, with uh, Sylvia Miles, of course, uh, but uh, Michael Douglas playing a sort of corporate raider, Ivan Bosky, very much based on Ivan Bosky. Well, Gordon Gecko, greed is good. There you go, exactly. And that character's speech is also based on a lot of the things that Carl Icahn said. Um, Carl Icahn said, survival of the unfittest, referring to a board of some 20 vice chairmen who just took down hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary every year, but seemed to do nothing for the company that he was raiding. And Carl Icahn, he's 85, a little sort of hollowed out, but still going strong. And he, he said, you know, these, he would buy these companies and, and recognize that they were fundamentally undervalued. And so he would buy enough shares that he could sit on the board and say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, he quite rightly says, you know, they called me an activist, but re- I mean, they called me a raider, but I was really an activist, you know? And yes, of course he was making money for himself, but he was also by making these companies profitable, making money for the shareholders. And so I think, you know, history has been quite unkind to that period in terms of people like Carl Icahn and Michael Milken, who really were sort of disruptors of established corporate America and really kind of breathed new life into it. So it was fascinating to see a documentary about him. He did, he bought uh, TWA, uh, Tapper Ovens was his sort of first raid. Um, what was one of his other big deals? Um, but he put money into Netflix. Um, and they're just great stories of these corporate takeovers, which are sort of somewhat abstract, I suppose, in one sense, you know, but poison pills and i i just think there's a great un undone melodrama or 
dramatic series. Could that on... melodrama or series be about Ivan Bosky and a, a, a certain book that someone has written? Oh, yes. And... I thought you'd never. I thought you'd never. <laughs> yes, I did write a book about Michael Milken. And then get a meeting with Shonda Rhimes. Bring that book. <laughs> let's get this going. Top, top. Wait, I thought All your right, book let's... was Ivan Bosky. It, it was Mike Milken? It was Michael Milken. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, because Michael Milken, you can find it on Amazon. You can, yes. Uh, what I is think, the name? It, oh, it's called. Um, it's come called, on, well, come on. It's I, I'm just looking for a copy. You've got you've got to promote it, baby. It really quickly. Oh, that's it's sad. Called Fall from Grace, and it's uh-huh. the uh, the untold story of Michael Milken. Uh, my first book and probably my last. Hold it up. Oh. It. Yeah, it. Know, it's, it like, it's really it's real pages with actual real words. In. <laughs> Come on, you're on a talk show. Hold it up, Jay Leno. Hold it up. And it has a uh, introduction. I don't know if I should say this by Alan Dershowitz, who lately oh. canceled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Melda uh, Marcos and Prince uh... Philip. The other little detail about this book is is when Madonna launched Maverick, she optioned this book to make into a movie. Really? Yes. Did you take meetings with Madonna? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think she was busy on the, um, the, oh, what was the tour that? A fabulous tour. The Shanghai Surprise Tour. (laughs) (laughs) No. She was busy on the... um, the one with the boobs. Come on. The Vogue. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the early tour. In bed with Madonna tour. The, the early tour. Was, that was Blonde the, Ambition. Thank you, yeah. Blonde. Thank you, Tom. All right. Um, but no, watch uh, Icon, the restless billionaire on uh, HBO Max. I'm losing That's- my natural light. So I'm using my, my uh, torch light from my phone you to make me look like a monster. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And we're back. Uh, We've been counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this past week. I'm here with Tom and James St. James and Blake. And we've reached number one. Number one. Now, what people may not understand who watch this show is that we work many several jobs, including this job. So we're not just thinking about this all week long, but it's in the back of our heads. So we're very, we're all in charge of our own segment. We do it. And then number one is for us to come together and figure it together. And I don't know that we did this week. I could be wrong. Is it slut uh, pop? Is that number one? Oh, speaking of slut pop, uh, <laughs> our, our, our our big pops, our pop poppy slut just popped up. <laughs> Is that what's number have, one? Do you know slut pop, James well, and Benton? I, I don't, okay, but I want to. I, I want to hear all about it because I feel it has my name written all over it. Well, first, because I only read headlines in my social media. I don't click on things. So I don't want people to know what I'm thinking. But the headline is that Kim Petras has a new album, is releasing singles from her new album. Tell me if I'm wrong about this, Blake, called Slut Pop. And, and go ahead. It's, it's, I think, more of an EP. It's like seven songs yes, long. Yes, yes, yes. And, and she one of them, dropped all of them. And, and one of them's called Throat Goat. Yes. The greatest of all time. Yes. Throat, throat Goat. Yes. And so she's, she's, she's definitely, and the lyrics hold, are, are not, uh, metaphors. There, it's just straight on sex talk. It's the stuff that would make porn stars blush. And at face value, I'm like, good for you, Kim Petras. You know, why are we so shame filled? Um, 
and but yet when you think that the the the, the mo- most of her fans are probably 12 year old girls exactly and then you wonder when does like i love really bold things i'm i like pornography in my privacy in my life it's like but there's something about public facing sex that doesn't have to be shameful but is it when it when is it too much and then the real issue and it's hard to get all in this little segment is it was produced by dr luke Oh, who, I did not know that. I know, and and he is, you know, musically very good, but you know, he has this terrible reputation and 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 accusations by so many, including Kesha, that he's physically and and and, and verbally abusive. And Kim Petras, who's a trans young trans artist, outspoken, seems to have made the decision like I'm going to work with him anyway. So. I'm not. I'm not canceling anybody. It's complicated. It's uncomfortable. So that's. But it sort of seems about, a little bit. It sort of seems a little bit like the arguments we had in 1994 with Madonna's sex book and the sex tour and erotica and everything like that. Because shouldn't we have resolved this a long time ago that it doesn't really make a difference and that it's all good and it's all well? It would if I, I was. I would when I when I suggested slut pop. I thought I'm going to sit here and tell you why whatever she wants to say is fine. Right. And then the, the Doctor Luke thing. Um, muddies the water, not about her expression, but just about her choice of collaborators. And well, how much of that. it was Kim, and how much of it was Luke's I, Dr. Luke's idea, and who is you know, if if it's all Kim, just you know, I am woman, hear me roar. That's great. But if but if she chooses to one, collaborate, it's just people have a real issue about being triggered by him. And and again, yeah. I I am not here to judge. Only only. Judge Judy and Jesus Christ, our Lord, can judge. I don't know anything about the music business, but I thought maybe she was trying to get out of some deal with the record label because I think she just signed some big major label deal. So maybe she's trying to, like, release music. I didn't particularly love it. I mean, it's fun to, like, bop around to, but it's not that deep, you know? It's more like stuff you would hear at White Party. Well, yeah. I'll tell you something. Well, yeah, because because it seems to me that on social media, it is all the um the thoughts and the the you know the instant hotties that are promoting it, and they're all like, "I'm the throat goat," blah 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 blah. Fenton, what do you think? Well, I just I looked up throat goat lyrics. Um, <laughs> these lips go la la la. This throat, Lady Gaga. Boys say hallelujah. Give me that yeah yeah yeah. Oh my okay, god! No, 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 no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. If you recall, in 1964, there was someone going on the Tonight Show who would read the lyrics of Beatles songs, and the audience would hoot and holler like, "This is the silliest thing." I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I'm saying you sound like an old lady in 1964 when talking I, about the Beatles. And when I hear that, when I roll. hear that, I think that's a room mail. That's like that's art. That was that was haiku. That was beautiful. I, James, I, I, James, I tweeted that. Uh, thank God my mother isn't around. You know, I believe in love in black-eyed peas minimalism. You know. Anyway, I'm gonna look up a fabulous we, we don't, heart lyric. We're going to have to do what? Leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks what? for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. Listen to previous episodes. Episodes. Please listen. Listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Uh, same time, same place next week. 
Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Uh, until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow. Hashtag throat goat. <laughs>